you know, he mentioned that he was concerned about his estate taxes. It was right around the time that um, the estate tax threshold had been boosted to about uh, 11 million per individual, which as a married couple as they were meant over 22 million were exempt from the estate tax. And so I just informed him very casually, like, well, are you aware that this is, you know, race? And, and he kind of just deadpan looked at me and goes, well, yeah, that's why we're talking. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Did you know that, according to research, only about one-third of the prospects fundraisers like you get thrown on their caseloads are truly qualified? And even fewer are actually ready for your outreach. Think about that. If you're like most, two-thirds of the leads you've been getting are not really qualified to be on your list. Sure, they might have given in the past and their wealth screen ratings might be high, but if they won't accept your outreach, what good is all that research anyway, right? It's a serious problem, but there is a solution. And you can find it in Greg Warner's book titled Engagement Fundraising, which you can get right now at no cost whatsoever at imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. That's right. You can learn how hundreds of organizations and thousands of fundraisers are succeeding in today's era of fundraising climate change by grabbing your free digital copy or audiobook version of Greg's very popular book today. Get it now. 100% free. Engagement fundraising at imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. That's imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to One Visit Away. Uh, this week, we have a great episode with Ryan Cooney. Ryan is a senior development officer with the Tiger Athletic Foundation at LSU, Louisiana State University. Uh, Ryan and I were able to chat for about 20 minutes probably before we uh, recorded because he and I have gotten to know each other a little bit over LinkedIn and uh, we wound up knowing quite a few of the same people just because uh, I grew up in New Orleans. He works at LSU. His wife is from the New Orleans area originally and uh, we had a lot to chat about beforehand. So it was great to talk to Ryan. He's got some incredible stories to share with y'all. And uh, I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Ryan Cooney. And as always, if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts and send this episode to one other development professional that you think would enjoy this content. Thanks so much for listening. Well, welcome to One Visit Away, Ryan. Thanks for being here. And thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. So Ryan and I have been uh, chit-chatting for, for a while now because we both have... Uh, Louisiana roots and uh, many shared connections, but and so now that we're jumping into the podcast, could you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am currently uh, the senior uh, development officer at Tiger Athletic Foundation at Louisiana State University. Um, that is uh, essentially a major gift fundraising role for the athletics arm. At LSU. Uh, prior to that, I've been at LSU for uh, right at, I guess, about nine years almost now. Um, I was uh, in LSU's College of Engineering 
uh, first in a corporate affairs, corporate relations and development role there. And then uh, slowly kind of moved over to a more individual uh, major gift fundraising role there where we uh, did uh, a building campaign, uh, over a $100 million building campaign. And um, and yeah, and uh, started LSU's, what is their second uh, capital campaign there, uh, uh, system-wide capital campaign. Um, my foray into fundraising actually kind of begins, uh, I would say, I'd be remiss to go back and kind of talk about uh, my my upbringing. So um, as a uh, foray into fundraising really was centered around um, my, my parents. And, you know, I grew up in what is probably the most average middle-class, you know, household. Um, but my dad being a CPA was always involved on the finance committees at our uh, Catholic school growing up. And, you know, Catholic schools, for those who aren't aware, are very tight on budgets more often than not. And, you know, tuition is can be expensive and costly for families. So private philanthropy is important in that process. And so uh, he was involved in uh, my great grammar school, grade school's first capital campaign that they had had. And so I distinctly remember um, him working with their fundraising consulting guy when I was in middle school and and fascinated by, frankly, the, the financial commitment that him and my mom made um, that in my mind was incredibly significant you know, a lot amount of money in, in our world, this day and age, it's not really, <laughs> it's not as much, but, you know, but, but growing, you know, I, I remember that and just thinking, uh, I still kind of think about, you know, sometimes the sacrifice that, you know, they made financially to make sure that, you know, the schooling and education that, that we had was, was successful. And so, um, so yeah, that was kind of my first foray into it. And then as a student leader at LSU, I, I am an alum of LSU. Um, uh, I, I would be uh, honest if it wasn't so self-serving. I basically marched into the then chancellor's office and asked him why they did not have a student on what was the national uh, board for the cap, the first uh, capital campaign at LSU in the mid 2000s. And he said, well, you're right. We don't have one. And guess what? You just nominated yourself to be on that uh, <laughs> on that board. So, you know, I got a taste of, of philanthropy kind of early on in my childhood, but also um, at LSU um, and and left LSU after graduating, but had an opportunity to come back and alma mater and, uh, and and kind of accidentally get into development work. So, yeah, that's awesome. So did you. So I'm curious, you were on that. Uh, that board for when you were a student, did that directly lead to like you going to work in development right when you graduated or did you do something before? No, not at all. I, I, I did that more kind of, I, like I said, it was honestly, you know, looking back on it, it was a little bit self-serving. I was looking, you know, to kind of boost my resume and, and, and the like, I, I had a passion for LSU, don't get me wrong. And I still do today, but, you know, um, but, but it was to kind of, you know, I was thinking, at that age at, you know, in my early twenties about boosting my network and, you know, and the like, and, and I actually went to work on a completely, but not really completely different field, but I went to work in economic development, uh, recruiting businesses and, and companies to the Baton Rouge region. 
um, at our, our regional economic development organization. Um, and actually through a project we worked on, we worked uh, with the dean of the College of Engineering as the, the company we were recruiting had a significant need for engineering, computer science, talent. Um, and the project was successful. We got to work part of the my efforts were working hand in hand with the dean and his his staff then. And uh, lo and behold, very shortly after, he had an opening uh, in corporate affairs. And it was the right fit at the right time. Um, and day two of my job, we announced uh, a building campaign. So my job went from corporate affairs to corporate affairs and corporate fundraising very quickly. Um, and yeah, so the rest is his, about a decade later, I'm, you know, uh, full blown, uh, into the development world and, you know, honestly loving every minute of it. It's a, it's a very, I, I say most people don't end up in this field on purpose. You know, they end up in it accidentally, but, um, you know, uh, everybody's got a different path here, but I've really enjoyed my path and the opportunities I've had here at LSU. Yeah. So LSU, obviously, like huge uh, college sports school, um, tons of famous, very wealthy athletes have come out of there. So working on the athletic side, are you meeting with a lot of uh, athletes that went to LSU? Or Yeah, I mean, I, I see them here and there. Um, and, and also, uh, full disclosure, I started this role uh about three weeks before the global uh, shutdown began. So, uh, so, so Perfect. I haven't had, yeah, great timing. So, um, you know, obviously, luckily I was already here at LSU. So some of the kind of built in relationships and, and whatnot have already, were already established. So I could still kind of hit the ground running. I do, I do occasionally get to work with some of our athletes. Um, you know, they're, uh, their schedules can be very demanding, even especially in this day and age, you know, so, um, you know, they, they also have a, you can imagine have a really strong relationship with their coaches uh, and their coaching staff. So, um, you know, a lot of our connections through them and for me, for me as in my role, um, are, are working through them. We also, um, on our development staff here as major gift fundraisers, we have a former, uh, former coach uh, here at assistant coach here at LSU and uh, a former football player uh, here on our staff. So they, they can speak a little bit more of the language than I can as, you know, I I am, uh, you you can't see me on the video, but I am uh, five, eight. So, uh, you know, there are not, (laughs) yeah, there were zero college scholarship offers, athletics offers, especially at a major D one school for me. So, uh, so, yeah, so, uh, you know, they, they obviously have that, you know, um, athletics takes a, a certain type of mindset and commitment that they can kind of speak to and, and, and work with them. So, you know, um, I have friends who I went to school here with that were athletes, though, and we, we get to uh, we get to talk about their time and uh, on campus. Now we're going to have a quick break for a word from one of our sponsors. So when it comes to investing in my own business, I'm a bit of a cheapskate, but I've made one significant financial investment in my consulting business over the last two years. You've heard me mention it every episode since January 1st, my website, every speck of my one visit away branding, my website, and everything you see visually from me was created by Jacob Laskowski 
with 86 creative. Jacob made it so easy to hire him because he made it very clear to me from early on that he was there to serve me, to help me, and he helped me a number of times with branding and strategy even before I paid him anything. So by the time I was ready to establish my brand and elevate the work I was doing, I knew Jacob was the person to hire. Jacob and his team at 86 do incredible work creating brands for nonprofits. And if you want to elevate your mission, I cannot recommend them enough. Your brand is the first thing prospective benefactors are going to interact with when they encounter your organization. So don't make it look like some high school kid from back in the 90s designed your website for you. When you present a professional, clear brand and message, you set yourself up to look like the type of organization someone would invest a million dollars into. Check out his website at elevateyourmission.com and see the work that has led people like me to trust him with building a strong brand. And now back to the episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so let's just jump right in. Uh, you've got some, some stories of visits to share. Uh, yeah, start wherever you'd like. Sure. Yeah. So I'm going to start with this is an, an honest to God's truth. This is literally my very first visit as a, in, I was in that corporate affairs role um, that I'm referencing. So um, we had launched that campaign basically day two um, of my job. And uh, very shortly after, within the first month, I was uh, with our dean in, uh, in Houston. Um, and obviously, a lot of our, our graduates in, uh, in engineering take a role in, uh, in the Houston area as their first job. So we have a lot of corporate partners over there and doing kind of the first foray with them. Well, that was the entire plan there. But about 24 hours before we left, um, there was some communication with a, a colleague of mine. Uh, that there was a, a donor who had some issues with the scholarship on uh, an individual donor, uh, an alum who had some issues with their scholarship. And we had some time in the window and uh, they were, their office was right around the corner. So we said, well, well, sure. And and Dean said, well, Ryan, come come join me with this, you know, and and I said, by all means. So, you know, I, so literally my very first uh, donor visit, one on one donor visit. Um, is someone with a, an issue with their scholarship. And long, long story short, you know, um, we had botched kind of the awarding and the stewarding of this scholarship. And it was honestly no fault of anyone's, um, uh, just truthfully, just, you know, one of those instances where things kind of kind of fall through the cracks and one hand thought the other was doing something, you know, and, and, yeah. um, and I learned very quickly, uh, and this, this donor had made a very significant gift, um, actually in honor of, of someone. So that made it even, you know, kind of more impactful for, for him and his family. And for about 25 or 30 minutes, basically we just sat there and let him vent and, and vent very, uh, ferociously, you know, if you will. And, and I'm sitting there kind of hand, I, had to, I think at one point I had to put my hands underneath, you know, my, my, uh, legs just to keep, you know, like, the tension. And I watched our Dean, you know, it was very interesting. I watched our Dean just sit there patiently and listen, you know, and um, because at the time and even still to this day, I I have my, one of my faults is I like to, I do like to interject and I like, because I do, um, I do pride myself on being knowledgeable about a variety of subjects, you know, and I prepare myself for meetings and, 
with donors and companies and the like. And I, and so I'm always wanting to kind of, Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. yeah, I know, I know yeah. that, you know, I, you know, and yeah, so yeah. I, it was very interesting because there were multiple times where um, in this case, our Dean could have corrected him, could have interjected and uh, you know, but he just let him, let him talk, let him walk through his, his issues, his challenges, his frustrations, honestly. And, uh, you know, and then answer. And so it was, it was honestly, it was thinking back on it. It was very, uh, fortuitous that it was my, one of my first visits is because I got to honestly just sit there. I I didn't have a role in this other than I was, you know, otherwise I've been waiting in the car at the coffee shop down the street and, and I got to just see what, um, in our case, a dean who had, you know, decades of experience in fundraising, uh, sit there and and do the right thing and just listen, um, own up to our our mistake there and and move forward from the conversation. So, you know, nothing like a first visit uh, ever. You know, <laughs> be, be, being you know a thirty minute uh, thirty minute uh, frustration of of multiple years of, of kind of mismanagement of a, of a scholarship, but you know, it was a, uh, it was a great learning experience. That's to say the least. So. Yeah, for sure. And did, uh, yeah. What wound up happening with that, with that guy? Did he continue giving over the years or? Yeah. So it's really interesting. So that, um, that opportunity and he, this was already a major gift. This was already a, you know, a six figure donor. Um, and, uh, in, in scholarship in the case. So it was, you know, it was already, um, he was already supporting. Um, it took some time to turn around. We had, that was also part of a wake up call on our end that we needed to boost our, our staffing efforts, um, on the, uh, uh, donor, donor relations stewardship side of things. Um, that I don't want to say that specific instance was what took it, you know, but it, but it helped uh, lay the groundwork for improving our stewardship efforts internally in the college. Um, you know, because uh, at the end of the day, these donors are giving um, significant amounts of money uh, for, uh, in this case, the student benefit. And they want to know about the student experience and they want to interact with the student there. And so, uh, you know, allowing that to happen organically and, and more naturally um, and, and obviously just keeping up to date with the student, you know, is, is very simple, but when you're in that case, when you're a college of, you know, literally, you know, thousands of students and uh, also thousands of scholarships and millions of dollars of endowment, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a very task, uh, task oriented job and it's a very taxing job. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of moving parts there. So um, it was kind of, I think, honestly, the wake up call that we needed to do that. So that donor, um, actually, I, interestingly enough, I get to work with him um, on the athletic side now as well. So we, we keep in touch. Um, and he, um, he continues to support that, that scholarship uh, with his family and, and, and support LSU, uh, uh, you know, across the, the, the campus as well. So he, He's still engaged, you know. Uh, it it took some time. I think we, you know, probably needed a little bit of cooling off period there, but yeah. that's yeah, that's yeah. natural. That's natural. So we, but we've kept uh, we've done a good job stewarding that scholarship since then, in, in particular. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, and I think that's uh, what you were saying about you know wanting to interject and wanting to be right about things or correct things. I think everybody struggles with that, and uh, yeah, like it. There's so many times when I've seen people just trying to like prove their point and prove that they're right, uh, which is completely unhelpful. Like, like there's a certain point where it's like. <clears throat> It can be helpful to be like, oh, what you said about this, let me give you this other, like, you know, look at it or something like that. But then there's just like, <laughs> you're wrong about this. And let me tell you why, which <clears throat> never is a helpful thing uh, for really any type of uh, <laughs> relationship, whether it's fundraising or uh, a friendship or a marriage. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. And, and I think, yeah, to, to that point, it's like, you know, there's a, there's a right time in place. I mean, there, there was, uh, without, uh, specifics, there was a, actually it's fine. I can share it, but the, uh, there was a situation a few years ago, um, at LSU where, um, it, it made USA Today or Wall Street Journal. I'm not really sure, but our student rec center built a pool that had a lazy river in it simultaneously while some state budget challenges were going on. And, you know, what made the national media was, you know, LSU's building lazy rivers while, you know, teachers are getting laid off or, you know, having to deal with some of these, you know, internal challenges. And, and what, and that's obviously a, a, a challenging look. And so, you know, I, I met with a number of donors, not locally, they kind of knew the situation because what ultimately is the story is the, the, in this case, the rec center upgrades were paid for by student fees that the student body voted on and approved themselves. So it was not, you know, it was a student referendum. It was something that the student, you know, government had put forth, uh, and the student body voted on. So it was not, you know, something that was done with, in essence, you know, academic dollars or anything like that. And so, um, you know, that there was a time and place where if, if I was speaking with a donor about that specific issue to say, well, would you mind if I told you that kind of the background on this? And, you know, and, and, and then 10 seconds later they go, Oh, okay. That makes sense. You know? And well, well, maybe, you know, I, I may have gotten a comment or two that maybe the student should have had a, prioritize some some academic learning, you know, over uh, an enhanced recreational center. Of course, you know, we can all debate the merits of that. But, you know, th there is a time and place, as you as you put to, um, you know, correcting someone and, and honestly doing it in an appropriate manner, you know. And so yeah. uh, lucky for me, it was one of my first visits that I had an opportunity to be kind of uh, uh, learn that lesson and and. I don't want to say I'd, I do it perfectly every time, but, you know, uh, work through that each, uh, through each visit. Yeah, for sure. So you, you'd shared on LinkedIn about, uh, a guy that you, you met who had some questions about estate planning. Is that yeah. one of your stories? You'd like yeah. To so this is actually, this is, this is a great, uh, great segue into this because, um, so I, I'd shared this story. I think you, you, you're, uh, post on LinkedIn was centered around, you know, uh, don't assume a lot. Uh, maybe I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it in front of me, but basically don't assume a lot about your donor uh, from, from the get go, whether it's, you know, the car they're driving or the house they live yeah. in or, you know, whatever it may be. And so um, this story, I shared it, you know, and 
and I, I hopefully it'll help other folks kind of realize, um, you know, maybe there's a hidden donor in, in their portfolio or in, in, at their organization. So this gentleman, um, I mentioned that building campaign earlier. It, uh, it kind of gone through multiple iterations and he had actually donated to the original building campaign. And at, um, he had worked his career um, for a, uh, what is a publicly traded company. Um, and, he, and in a middle management role, he had never r- risen to, you know, executive level that we would have daily or, you know, or not daily, monthly interaction with, uh, him as a, a corporate partner of ours as well. And so, so he was just kind of your, your alum who worked his way up to middle management. Um, and he had given to the building campaign through its original iteration, um, at, at a nominal level. And I want to say, actually, I, 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 it was, uh, and I can't remember the, the ratio, but his company had a match corporate matching gift program. Yeah. And so I want to say it was, a uh, basically, a uh, a one to, uh, I guess a two to one match. So for every, you know, $2,000 that he would donate, you know, the company would match a thousand. So um, he did that for uh, 10 years. Uh, so $2,000 a year to this building campaign, a thousand for the company, so $3,000 a year. And for, for the folks, you know, that are in higher education and especially at major higher education universities like this, and in, in our case, in a college of engineering, $3,000 annual gift is something you, you know, loan, but you write a thank, you know, they get a form thank you note uh, yeah. from someone and, and you just, just the, the volume that we, we have. Yeah, when you're so, trying to raise $100 million, uh, you would need, what would you need? You would need like uh, 10,000 people giving? Uh, uh, I, probably so more than that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason why I'm, I'm not in uh, anything uh other than development work, you know, my, my math skills are not, uh, I, I can do an endowment calculation very easily, but, but beyond that, I'm, I'm limited. Um, but, but yeah, so he had given basically 3000 for 10 years and we had culminated the building campaign. It was, it was completed. And so I went and it, it was kind of funny. I went, uh, we were going through the list and, and he had, he had just reached a threshold. So $30,000, was the minimum gift amount that could have a name space in the building. It was, it was a basically the smallest office building in, you know, a 400,000 plus square foot building. You know, we're talking about a, you know, a five by seven type of office, you know, a a small associate professor's office. And so, um, but so we were making sure that all the naming was correct on uh, for this, for the building. And so he lived, he, he lives, not lived, he lives here locally in Baton Rouge and I uh, just called him and I said, I mind if I come meet with you and, and we can walk through the, uh, make sure everything looks good and, and the like. And, and so he said, sure, by all means. And, you know, I uh, went over to his house and, and it is uh, in, honestly, the most average middle-class neighborhood here in, in Baton Rouge, you know, I passed multiple high net worth neighborhoods to, to get to it. Um, you know, and, and, and go sit down in his house. And we, we talked for a minute about this and, and, and being a good development officer, I just, I'd kind of said, well, I'd like to, uh, you know, encourage, can we, 
continue this giving or can we look at something, you know, we have, uh, would love to see you support something else and for the students, the faculty and a scholarship and the like. And he said, I'll, I'll consider that, you know, and, and I kind of honestly left it at that. Um, really the purpose of the visit was just to, to make sure we had the naming right. And, and truthfully, I didn't really think much of it, just kind of knowing where I was meeting with this gentleman and whatnot. Uh, same couple months later, either he called me or I called uh, anyways to just kind of check back in. Um, it may have even been an invite to uh, uh, an event we had for the building. And I uh, I go back over to his home. It's actually ter- not terribly far from my current residence. So, you know, it was, honestly, probably that made it easy. It was just like, you know, I can go drive five minutes down the road and go go see him. And uh, and we we sit down and we're we're talking and and you know he mentions um and, and I honestly kind of made a pitch uh for an estate gift and you know he, he mentioned that he was concerned about his estate taxes and this at the time was um i want to say about 2017 or so and so the uh, and it, forgive me if my dates or years are slightly off, but it was right around the time that um, the estate tax threshold had been boosted from roughly five million per household or individual, and uh, to about uh, eleven million per individual, which, as a married couple as they were, meant over twenty-two million were exempt from the estate tax. And so I just informed him very casually, like, well, are you aware that this is, you know, race? And, and he kind of just deadpan looked at me and goes, well, yeah, that's why we're talking. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I wish there were, you know, I kind of, I wish there were multiple hidden cameras or I, I didn't know if maybe I was being, you know, it was some, you know, uh, some test from, you know, from, from, or uh, one of those, and practical jokers types of yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> things because, you know, here's a gentleman who's probably driving about a 10 year old car, you know, in a yeah. home that uh, was worth no more than, you know, maybe $300,000 maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's not to disparage his, his living choices or anything like that. It, but it's just, it, it's not it, typically it, indicative correct, of correct. being a multi-decamillionaire. <laughs> correct. And so, you know, I, I, I mean, I luckily was able, I guess my jaw dropped. I don't really know what, you know, but I was able to piece it together, you know, and, and kind of have a conversation with him. And we'll come to find out, you know, without divulging too much, he was right on that threshold. So it wasn't, you know, uh, we, we weren't talking about, you know, uh, the wealthiest person in Louisiana living, you know, in this, uh, in this neighborhood. But, you know, we were talking about somebody who had significant wealth and, you know, and, and he really didn't do it by anything magical. You know, it was um, it was prudent saving and being you know cognizant of what he had done. And he had, uh, you know, taken a few risks on some uh, some investments, either in the market or just through some other you know, real estate type vehicles, come to find out. But it wasn't anything, you know, he didn't uh, didn't, didn't inherit it. It wasn't. Correct. It was self-made, you know, hard work type of diligence. And so it really, you know, uh, kind of uh, taught me a lesson to, um, and I still try and practice this to this day, is to treat every donor as if they are a, 
have the ability to make a million dollar gift. And I use that million dollar threshold just because in our world, as you know, it's kind of that principal gift amount. You know, when somebody is able to give a million dollars, you know, or more, it really, whether it's to a higher education institution or, you know, your local nonprofit, it's just, that's still that threshold there. That's, yeah. that's significant. Um, and whether or not we, you know, that treating them like a million dollar donor doesn't mean we, you know, we literally do everything that you would do for the, you know, the hundred dollar a year donor that you do for the million dollar donor, but it's act as if they have the ability to make that gift at any time, because yeah. you, you, you honestly don't know, you know, yep. the wealth screenings, all the data out there that we have doesn't show the full picture. You, you, you don't know, um, you know, what their assets look like if, as long as they're privately held, um, you know, I've mentioned this, I think maybe before with you, but the bulk of the wealth in this country is still held privately and is self-made and you don't get that way by accident. You get that way, you know, through, through years and years of hard work and diligence and, and effort. And I joke all the time. I said, you know, the wealthiest people are for lack of a better word, hiding their money behind multiple LLCs and business interests and whatnot, you know, even the best researcher at the most, yeah. you know, uh, well-funded nonprofit is not going to find all of this stuff. So you get right. there by treating them like a million dollar donor and asking those questions that help paint that picture of what their assets do look like, you know? So, um, so it was a very quick lesson that, you know, just cause the person lives in the gated country club, um, you know, it doesn't mean they have, the ability to make that million dollar gift and, and vice versa, just because the donor comes from, you know, the, the normal neighborhood, uh, yeah. you know, we, we, we do that. So um, I guess to kind of uh, bring that full circle, he did end up making a, a major gift. Um, you know, like I said, he was right over the threshold and he wanted, he made a lot of sacrifices with his family and his children over their career to kind of get to the, that point. So, the bulk of it, he wanted to leave, you know, to his, his family as an appreciation, you know, in his estate, but he has since made estate gifts of a very significant level and a, a major jump from, you know, 3000 yeah. a year, uh, yeah. to that and, and, and the like. So, um, very much a millionaire next door type of situation that I got to be a part of. Yeah. That's so cool. So, uh, a couple things, um, yeah, the, just this idea of treating everybody as if they can give a million dollar gift. Like, <clears throat> ultimately, what that to me, what a lot of that means is just showing people that you care about them. Um, and so, like, like what what that looks like is I, like ever. I used to do this, and so many development people do this. Like when you're at an event, and you know you're talking to just the person like this guy that you don't have any reason to believe that they're they're wealthy but like you see the person on the other side of the room that you really want to meet cuz everybody knows that they're super rich like and you're just looking over their shoulder the whole time like looking at that person they can tell you're not paying attention to them that that is one of the worst feelings in the world when when you're on the other side of that and the development professional is just like ignoring you because you know they're they're on the hunt for the important person. So like, so, so like using your principle, like just everybody you talk to, just 
like it doesn't matter that the rich person's over there. You're talking to this person. So just pay attention to them. And uh, that that's just a, a good way to uh, live your life in general. I agree. I agree. You know, it's it. And I, I think, I, you know, I've all often thought of it. I like your analogy there because I've often thought of it just solely in the development space. But it really goes, you know, beyond that. It's just, you know, uh, uh, my wife is excellent at this, to, to be honest. She is has the ability to captivate and, and create personal relationships with people, you know, within minutes. And, and honestly, I think it's because, and and she'll tell you is she, you can tell, and she devotes her entire uh, attention to that person. And so, I mean, it's, it's amazing to watch because I've been a part of it in the conversation, you know, but, and then when she, and then when she or anyone, when you ask that kind of poignant question, if you've had their, if you've been giving their, 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 them their attention for the whole time, uh, you know, when you ask that poignant question, it, it resonates and they, they answer it truthfully, honestly, and with some yeah. bit of emotion. And, you know, uh, that's where you really start to get in our world and development, you start to get to the, to the heart of the matter and can really find out what their passions are. So, um, yeah, it's spot on. It, it, it's, uh, it was something very, it, you know, uh, very quickly I learned, uh, that, you know, Hey, I need to be more cognizant of, uh, who I'm talking to because you don't know you, you, yeah. you honestly, you know, you don't know. Yeah. The, what? so I'm going to make one more point and then let's get to your, your next story before we run out of time. But, uh, yeah, when you were talking about wealth ratings and stuff, like, uh, I, one thing I want to drive home on that even further is the other thing that looking up stuff about people online won't tell you is even if somehow they do have access to everything, which they don't, but even if they did, what they don't have access to is like super up-to-date live information. So like you might, like what what if you're looking up the, like the guy we're talking about, the dude worth, you know, 20-something million. What if he dies and his daughter is in the database and receives, you know, all of the money in an inheritance? Like that's not going to show up on your wealth screening uh, month that happens. But if you have a relationship with that person and you're staying in touch with them, that's the type of thing they might tell you in a visit. Like, hey, like my dad just passed away and left me everything. So correct, correct. Yeah, you you don't you know, and I know you make this point a lot, and um, we actually do this very well on the athletic side. Is we just pick up the phone and and call people and meet with them, you know, and um, you know, I, I honestly could be on in my previous role. Um, on the academic side could be a little bit discriminatory against, you know, people um, and, and, and not uh, part of it was time management, but the other side of it is, you know, just I'm looking at where, you know, where their address is or where that, you know, what their past giving history is. And, and my, my case in point really brings that home is, you know, also just in this day and age, you don't know uh, when that person, if they are, you know, a, uh, a founder of a, a startup or, you know, or they're, they're growing in an organization, you know, the pace at which we move this day and age is so much faster than maybe even 15, 20 years ago. And so, you know, you don't, 
these people may rise to the CEO role very quickly, or, that, or they may rise to a role where they're selling their company, you know, in months or, or a year instead of, instead of 20, you know? And so uh, you, you just, you don't know. And so uh, taking that approach with these people, like I said, is, is really, uh, really key. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, just to drive that, I just to drive that home. I mean, there's what what you're talking about is so true. I mean, with the way stuff moves so quickly these days and online businesses and like social media presence, like you can literally have someone who was a I don't know, they were like a struggling photographer that was making $20,000 a year and then they start a YouTube channel and literally make a million dollars within the next Correct. 12 months. Like that. Correct. Yeah. Time. I mean, yeah, you, they could be, they could do that. Um, you know, they could have accidentally invested in GameStop or, you know, yes. <laughs> or, or, I mean, it, you know, Bitcoin or, I mean, you know, we can talk about all those things and, you know, you kind of laugh about it because it's still, you know, it's not the tried and true of, you know, right. long term longevity, hard work, but it, it does happen. And, you know, whether, whether it's, you know, whether it's through um, through something like that in a social media channel or whatnot, or whether it's just their their corporate success or whatever, maybe it, the world is changing in that regard. So you know, it, we we have to recognize that I think as development officers that the the potential for someone to go from uh, you know more an annual giver, uh, mid level giving person to a major gift uh, benefactor is probably quicker than it was, you know, 10 years ago. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And th- that could be a whole nother uh, podcast episode um, because it th- there's so much to say there. But let's jump into, uh, I'm, I'm guessing you've got at least one more story. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I've got, this is honestly to this day, and I don't know if it'll ever be taught, my favorite visit. Um, and I... I you can see me just smiling about it just because it's, it's one of those things that you telling it, people are like, wait, this happened. You know, this, <laughs> did this really happen? Yeah. So, um, and, and Kevin, I know your background in New Orleans and, and South Louisiana, you may be aware of this, but um, you know, there's a, there's a pretty significant history um, among in particular, our, um, our farming and, and agriculture community in, in Louisiana with, ultimately Central and Latin America. Uh, and so consequently, a lot of our, um, we have a, a, a large number of alums who are of Latin American descent um, here at LSU. And uh, so one of the territories I covered uh, at the time was, um, was in Miami. And um, I find that uh, geographic areas take the 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 pulse and the temperament of of their location. So Miami is one of those locations where you call for visits and tell them you're going to be there on these dates, and they say, "Yeah, call me when you land. We'll figure something out." You know, <laughs> uh, you know. And so um, this was one of those trips. You know, and you, you, you make it begrudgingly because you're like, "Oh gosh, I've got to justify, you know, a, a plane ticket and a couple of nights in a hotel and." I've got one confirmed meeting on the books and yeah. <laughs> nine, nine call me when you lands, you know? And so on the, on the other end of the spectrum like that and, 
is an area like, you know, Washington, D.C., where it's like, you know, uh, you want to book this a year in advance. Or correct. Yeah. Or, or, or OK, you're going to be here. We're meet. You know, the reply back is 10 a.m. My office, this floor, this location. Yeah. See you then. And it, then they send you the calendar appointment of their their admin sends you a calendar appointment. And it's blocked for 20, you know, 25 minutes. You know, you, exactly, so you, you know. Whereas this is like, you have no idea what you're doing, you know. So this was one of those trips. One of the gentlemen I called was, you know, just call me when you land. And he was uh, Cuban. This Cuban gentleman. And so I I went to one of my mid-morning meetings. And I, uh, I, as instructed, I called him after that meeting. And it was a little before lunchtime. And he called. He says, okay, meet me at, and I, I cannot, that uh, frustrates me. I cannot remember the name of the restaurant, but meet me at such and such restaurant. Here's the address um, in 45 minutes. Yeah. And plug it in the phone, Google Maps. It is in Little Havana in, in Miami. And so, you know, I'm, I'm actually excited. I'm like, this is great, you know, because yeah. a lot of times we, you know, when you are doing lunches and stuff, you end up kind of, not necessarily chain type restaurants, but, you know, right. very basic type places yeah, yeah. and whatnot. And I'm like, this is going to be great. And so, um, you know, and, and so he, he said something like, I, I, I'll try and see if anybody else can come. And I'm like, oh, what does this mean? You know, what? <laughs> well, so I show up 45 minutes later and, you know, I am the only non-Hispanic that, you know, is in this built employees, patrons, everything. And so, you know, um, so it was very obvious, you know, I'm also in a suit in, in Miami. So it's also very obvious, you know, when I walk in and like this whole table of people just waves at me, you know, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, what is, uh, you know, <laughs> there, there are seven gentlemen at this table. I'm the eighth and we're at this big round table in the corner at this restaurant in little Havana. And, you know, um, so what, what ultimately happened um, is, is, is the very first visit with this gentleman. And, you know, he basically rounded up all of his friends and, and colleagues uh, from his time at LSU that were all alums. Well, they were all Cuban uh, immigrants. Um, and uh, we got to talking and come to find out they were all basically uh, immigrated to the U.S. Uh, as fleeing the Castro regime. And the bulk of them were uh, part of uh, Operation Peter Pan, which is, was a CIA program in the 60s yeah. where they were utilizing um, uh, radio frequencies from South Florida to uh, 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 to Cuba to help communicate in particular in this case with the Catholic community and, and the like and and they, they left. It's an amazing story. And so, you know, um, it would, it was one of the most humbling meetings I've ever gotten to be a part of just because, you know, here I am, this random boy from Alabama, you know, uh, in little Havana learning about their history and their stories. I mean, it was a two and a half hour lunch, you know, the, the menu is, there is nothing in English on the menu, you know, and, and I don't speak a lick of Spanish either. So, you know, they literally, you know, they, the guy, what the guy I met, the gentleman who rounded up everybody basically just kind of 
showed to the waiter and goes, we'll, we'll order for him. And I, I mean, I get yeah. this plate of Cuban food that I, I, I don't think I ate for three days. You know, like now I, I have to ask, was everyone drinking beer? At this they time. weren't actually because a few of them he had routed up from work. So I I, okay. I feel like somebody may have, you know, but I honestly can't remember. But it, you know, it, it I mean, it was a very lively uh, yeah, yeah. lunch as well, you know, and 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 honestly, I had to leave because I had finally gotten another meeting. You know, unfortunately <laughs> I did have to go. And and they were still there. Some of them were still there. So I, they may yeah. have stayed and and been, yeah, yeah. been drinking for uh for more time, but I I mean you know, the, the, the stories of, you know, you know, basically they, how they, you know, they landed in Miami, you know, as part of this. And then they went, most of them were around the same age. So they finished out high school and then, you know, LSU had a strong relationship with a bunch of Latin American countries and, and people. So they, we kind of welcomed them with open arms and it really taught me kind of the, a level of, uh, you know, empathy for that, you know, that we, we have and that they have and the, and for lack of, for a lot of them, they were very, you know, from their perspective, they were telling me, you know, they were seen as, you know, kind of second class, you know, people in the U S at the time. And whether that was true or not, you know, in our case at LSU, we, we welcomed them, you know, with open arms and, and kind of took them in and, and, and helped them create a life for themselves because a number of these folks actually were, what you would say are kind of wealthy people in Cuba and they literally left with, you know, with what they had, you know, in a, yeah. uh, on their backs. And so they went from being successful families and, 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 and members of their community, uh, there to, you know, uh, to, to nothing here. And so we, we were able to help get them back on their feet, you know, and get them the education and, and, and the curriculum that they were desiring. And so, um, yeah, I mean, just the, the stories I, I, you know, they're, they were, I mean, they're, they're, they're reminiscing about their times, you know, 30 plus 40 years ago in, at LSU and, and the trouble they probably got it, you know, I mean, it just yeah. was, it's just one of those stories that you just, you know, you don't, uh, you don't see yourself, you know, where will you be in five years or 10 years? And you don't say a, a corner table at a, hole in the wall restaurant in little Havana, but here I am, you know, and I think at just some point in the meeting, I just kind of say meeting more lunch, you know, that, um, I, I had, you just kind of took a deep breath and was like, this is awesome. You know, like this is, this is, this is something that I, in my, I wouldn't really get to experience without being in, in the world of development, you know? And so, um, I mean, the, the entirety of the, lunch and the, the appreciation and the camaraderie that they had uh, for me as somebody from, you know, I, we, we shared one connection and that was their alma mater, you know, and you would have thought I was their best friend. And so yeah. um, I, it, it's a, it's a tremendous story and it, and it showed a tremendous appreciation for, you know, um, the work that some of my predecessors and leaders had done at LSU for them and, 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 and really, we were also LSU and even to today is one of the we often have a lot of first generation college students still. And so, you know, we it, it can change the family tree dynamically, you know, um, moving, moving education forward and, and the like. And so, um, you know, we do a lot 
get to hear a lot of those stories about how, in this case, you know, uh, the, their degree helped change their family tree. And in, in this case, kind of rebuild it, you know, in a new country. Yeah. And so uh, tremendous, tremendous story. Uh, I still smile about it to this day um, when I get to tell it. And uh, really, really awesome group of, of men that uh, I got to meet that day. Yeah, that's phenomenal. That That is the... That is the great thing about this type of work is you never know uh, what each day is going to bring. And, uh, you know, ultimately, it's just those experiences of like being brought into others, people, other people's lives, whether it's with their friend group or their family and just getting to share in that with them. Um, And so, yeah, that's I I know you've got to go in a moment here so we can... uh, yeah, if you'd like to, you can share any final thoughts or uh, things you'd like to to promote. And uh... yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I guess kind of what one of the things I often think about is, and I you know, I, I listen to your podcast, and I listen to you know some other people who are you know thought leaders in their line of work, or you know, and I'm I am a um, leadership development junkie just personally. And, you know, what I, um, what I've learned in particular recently is, you know, you mentioned it, Kevin, and, and I'm, I am a hundred percent guilty of this. So I'm, I'm saying this as encouragement to kind of my fellow development officers, but, um, across the country and the world is, you know, a lot of times you just got to show up you know, showing up is the hard part. In that case, in our world of showing up is, you know, is getting to office or your home office right now in this day and age, you know, but getting, getting up and, and, and taking that next step forward with, you know, one donor or, or a territory you cover, or, you know, a, a group of people you've been trying to meet with is, is just taking that next step and, and showing up, um, you know, really helps build that momentum. Um, uh, Jim Collins in one of his you know books, obviously I think it's in good to great talks about, you know, the flywheel and, and the like, and, yeah. and it really is that case. You know, yeah. I find that I get in a rut a lot of times in this, you, you just get, you get kind of either beat down in meetings or in yeah. Excel sheets or whatever it may be. And what invigorates me is the donor activity. And so, yeah. you know, if I know I'm having one of those weeks or one of those months even you know sometimes you know it's yeah it's let's let's just schedule some meetings let's schedule some visits let's get on the phone talk to some people send out an email do something because it'll ultimately elicit a response and then lo and behold you know uh you know case in point you know well you, you make one call and then you just feel invigorate you know it's a positive experience and instead of hanging up the phone and kicking back in your chair you you lean forward and dial again. And, you know, yeah. lo and behold, you've got a trip, uh, playing with seven visits in a day and you're moving yeah. the needle along in a conversation. So I, I say that as I am guilty of it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the biggest, um, uh, I'm the biggest sinner in that regard, but, you know, just, uh, you know, just show up. Uh, and, and if you can move, push that flywheel forward just a little bit every day, you know, it'll start to, the momentum really picks up and, and moves forward for you. Yeah. yeah that, that's so good. <clears throat> that, that's the whole, the whole point of this podcast. It's like, 
no no matter what uh is going on and what's going wrong if you get a visit with that guy who's got the 20 million dollar net worth or you're sitting in little havana with a group of cuban americans feasting on a fantastic meal and conversation like there's nothing there's nothing that those types of visits can't get you you know can't get you over and super fired up to go get more visits scheduled so spot spot on if you just get that excitement level and then it continues and and it it helps ultimately your organization and and your donors as well and they see that excitement on your face yeah for sure well thanks so much ryan this was an awesome episode and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Likewise, Kevin. Thanks so much. And, and look forward to working with you soon, too. That was Ryan Cooney with Tiger Athletic Foundation at LSU. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. As always, if you found this episode valuable, um, go connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out my website, onevisitaway.com. And as always, please share this episode with at least one other development professional you think would appreciate this content. I hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from showing up at somebody's house who's given $2,000 a year for 10 years and realizing they've got eight-figure capacity.